You're listening to Comedy Central. April 22nd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. tonight is an advocate for survivors of sexual assault, an amazing person, and a Nobel nominee for the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize. Amanda Wynn is joining us, everybody. But first, but first, happy Passover and happy Easter, everybody. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. Did you have a good one? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, spend some time with the family. Easter is one of my favorite holidays because I... Like, I get to chill with the family, we get to eat, you know, remember how Jesus died for our sins and then came back as a giant rabbit who lays chocolate eggs. Uh, (laughs) I haven't been to church in a while. Anyway, uh, happy Easter, everyone. Let's catch up on today's headlines. Easter. It's an important holiday for any devout Christian and also for President Trump, who celebrated today at the annual White House Easter egg roll. President Trump standing by at 1600 Pennsylvania for that Easter egg roll at this moment. They're singing the national anthem, President Trump, flanked by the First Lady and the Easter Bunny himself, or herself, perhaps. Oh, I love how the anchor said himself or herself, perhaps. Yeah, I still can't confirm if this mythical creature has a vagina or not. (laughs) Not that sex is defined by genitalia. More on that at the top of the hour. Honestly, like, this is one of those moments where I'm like, American traditions never quite make sense to me. Like, we're all just supposed to pretend that that ridiculous creature belongs at the White House, standing next to the Easter Bunny. I mean, (laughs) sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Also, Americans sing the national anthem at the strangest times. Like, I get it at sports. I get it completely. But standing next to the Easter Bunny? That's where you're like, we need to honor this moment with a meaningful display of patriotism. Bunny, put your hilarious giant club over your heart. (laughs) Moving on to some other news. If you think it's time to get Donald Trump out of the White House and give someone else a chance to stand next to that bunny, well, good news, there's another candidate in the race. Some breaking political news this morning. The 19th Democrat has just joined the race for the White House. Massachusetts Representative Seth Moulton is the fourth member of Congress in the race. He also completed four tours of duty in Iraq. And just moments ago, he drew a sharp contrast with the current frontrunner, Bernie Sanders. Well, I'm not a socialist, I'm a Democrat. And I wanna make that clear. And uh, maybe that's a differentiator uh, for me in this race. That's right. Seth Moulton is entering the race, which is huge. Because Moulton, as we all know, is the guy who's... <laughs> you know, we all know that about him. <laughs> He's got the policies about... I'm <laughs> a white guy. But yes, but yes. Moulton's announcement brings the Democratic primary to 19 candidates, which is too many people. Look at all those faces. Look at all of those faces. Look at that. And I know tradition says a woman can't be president, but... Tradition. (laughs) Moving on to international news. After last week's fire at Notre Dame, 
there have been so many mixed emotions. Uh, sadness at what was lost, gratitude that it wasn't worse, and now a surprising new emotion, anger. Less than a week after that massive fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral, protesters in France are taking to the streets, some of them angry that while more than a billion dollars has been raised to rebuild the church, the needs of the poor are going unmet. Demonstrators with the Yellow Vest Group battled with riot police in Paris today. Those protesters hurled paving stones and set fire to cars. On many backs, everything for Notre Dame, nothing for Les Miserables. That's right. It's a powerful message that these people are sending. Les Miserables of France are pissed off, which is never a good thing. Because last time that happened, we all had to listen to Russell Crowe sing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why they invented the guillotine in France in the first place. They were like, please, monsieur, just chop off my head or at least my ears, I cannot. <laughs> and you know what I don't get about this whole thing? Like, instead of average people, why doesn't France just ask the Catholic Church to pay for the repairs? Like, a billion dollars is nothing to them. It's like three child abuse settlements. <laughs> Who made that joke? Who made that joke? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> and at the same time, at the, at the same time, I understand why many of the people in France who don't have much are upset about this, right? Should renovations take priority over poor people? You have to ask, what would Jesus do? Right? Because a big part of Jesus' message was helping the poor. But also, don't forget, Jesus was a carpenter, yeah? So you know there's a part of him that's like, is thou looking for a contractor? <laughs> because Jesus getteth five stars on Angie's list. <laughs> and finally, in another part of Europe, the British royal family might be planning a baby moon. As the world awaits the new addition to the royal family, we're learning new details about what might be next for Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan after the baby arrives. This morning, new headlines that Harry and Meghan could be moving to Africa. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex are reportedly considering heading on a sabbatical for six months. They're taking a sabbatical? <laughs> From what? <laughs> Helping their grandma pick out hats? Get the fuck out of here, man. How are you gonna take a break from bring royalty? What are you doing? This is like the weirdest thing. Oh, we just have to take a break. Too many people serve their guys. That's too much. <laughs> now, so, some people are saying that the reason Harry and Meghan want to go to Africa is to escape the tabloids and the paparazzi in the UK. And I'll be honest, if you're a ginger, I don't know if Africa is the best place for you to try and blend in. <laughs> but at the same time, I do get it. Because you see, in Africa, we don't have the same tabloid culture that you have out here. I mean, we do have paparazzi, it's just they don't have cameras. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the guy running after you like, I saw you, I saw you, I saw you, I saw you again, I saw you, I saw you. Ah, hurry, hurry. Look at what you are wearing. I'm going to tell everybody, yeah? <laughs> All right, let's move on to today's top story. <laughs> The Mueller investigation. It's been a cloud looming, looming over the Trump presidency for almost two years, which is a really long time. In fact, you do realize the Mueller investigation has lasted longer than most of the people in the Trump administration, right? <laughs> yeah, this thing has been around for about 70 Scaramucci's. That's a long time. <laughs> and after all that anticipation, Robert Mueller's report finally dropped last week. People were so excited that in one day, they read all 448 pages and footnotes, which is insane. This was a government report, and we were all treating it like a Fifty Shades meets Harry Potter crossover. 
which by the way, I've also read, and let's just say <laughs> it gave me bonerus erectus, yeah. <laughs> that means great joy in Latin, that's what that is. Now, now what's interesting, what's interesting is that the first person to read the full report was William Barr, Trump's attorney general and unfunny Patton Oswalt. And <laughs> he released a summary which basically said, no collusion, no obstruction, nothing to see here, move along, move along, right. Basically, the attorney general made it seem like this was the most boring thing since Canadian spring break, which is <laughs> just when you, when you put on a pair of shorts for a week and then take a shot of maple syrup, that's all it is. <laughs> but now that the report has been released to the public, we're realizing that Barr sure left out a lot of juicy details. Tonight, the nation riveted by the Mueller report, the most anticipated document in a generation finally public, exposing secrets and lies and detailing explosive new revelations. The Mueller report is out, and it is very different from what Donald Trump's attorney general described over the past three weeks. The day Mueller was appointed, May 17th, 2017, President Trump, quote, slumped back in his chair and said, oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm effed. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, that is hilarious. When Trump found out Mueller was investigating, he slumped in his chair and said, I'm <laughs> You know why I like that? Because he always acts like nothing phases him, you know, chin up, shoulders back, tummy out. But it turns out, Trump panics about his presidency as much as the rest of us. That's nice to know, yeah. It's a good feeling to know, yeah? It's almost like, it's almost like we're on a plane with crazy turbulence and we all think we're in this alone, but the pilot is also in the cockpit like, ah, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft. Ladies and gentlemen, no collusion, everything is fine. I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft, I'm aft. <laughs> so, so it turns out, it turns out when Barr summarized the Mueller report, he forgot to mention that Trump's entire administration panicked at the idea of being investigated. And in addition to that, his summary absolved Trump of obstruction of justice. What it didn't mention was that for two years, Trump was constantly trying to stop the investigation. The only thing that prevented him from doing that is that the White House is baby-proof. The report details several cases of senior advisors declining to take actions that could have obstructed justice. The president's staff ultimately may have saved him by ignoring his orders. The report cites at least seven different individuals close to the president who declined to do what he asked regarding the investigation. The president telling White House counsel Don McGahn to fire Mueller. McGahn refused, telling then Chief of Staff Reince Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy ass. Wow. The president asked him to do crazy S. <laughs> we all know what that means. <laughs> crazy sex. <laughs> yeah, it's whips, chains, magic spells, you know, the kind of stuff you read in Fifty Shades of Gryffindor, yeah? <laughs> like crazy S, we all, that's, that's the thing I, sorry, what? Oh, it's, it's not, oh, crazy shit, oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, that makes, sorry, I didn't, I didn't count the little stars. Oh yes, he asked him to do crazy shit, not crazy sex. But that's right. Trump was constantly telling his aides to do obstruction-y things and they just ignored him. So that was basically obstruction of obstruction of justice. <laughs> and you know, in a way, in a way, this is almost comforting because you realize that yes, Trump is corrupt enough to want to abuse his powers, but he's also too lazy to follow through. <laughs> that's a nice thing to know. 
In fact, wouldn't it be great if other bad people in history were also this lazy? You know, like if the Nazis were like, we found Anne Frank in the attic. Ah, oh, attic stairs. Ah, oh, forget about it. Ah, it's finished. Oh my God. And even though Barr's summary paints a Trump as being innocent, you can tell from the Mueller report that Trump knew he was doing something wrong. The report mentions this Oval Office exchange between Trump and McGahn, quote, the president then asked, what about these notes? Why do you take notes? Lawyers don't take notes. I never had a lawyer who took notes. <laughs> McGahn responded that he keeps notes because he is a real lawyer and explained that notes create a record that are not a bad thing. The president said, I've had a lot of great lawyers like Roy Cohn. He did not take notes. Now, come on. That's how you know some shady shit was going on in the White House. When Trump is yelling at his lawyers for taking notes about the things he says, you don't get mad when you're doing something good and someone takes notes, right? It's never like, okay, so I've decided we'll donate all my money to the orphanage. Hey, don't write that shit down. <laughs> someone might find out and I'll get the credits. Philanthropy is its own reward. <laughs> and by the way, I like that Trump thinks that his lawyers are the best lawyers. <laughs> Really? I mean, look at these guys. Look at them. <laughs> there are more normal-looking people on the Mortal Kombat selection screen than on Trump's legal team. Although, although, although to be fair, Trump isn't in prison yet, so maybe this group of vampires and steamship captains knows what it's doing. I mean, you don't know. And remember, remember, all of this craziness is just the stuff we can see in the report, right? Because there are still tons of redactions. This document was covered in so much ink, it looked like Adam Levine's torso. Even, like, one of the pages had niffles, right? But this gummy bear lawyer... <laughs> this gummy bear lawyer over here conveniently left out all the details that make Trump look not good. And you might be... You might be saying, like, oh, yeah, it was a summary, Trevor. Of course, he's gonna leave out some stuff. But right before he released the report, don't forget, Barr gave a press conference where he said Trump was fully cooperative with the Mueller probe. And once again, the Mueller report tells a very different story. The president refused to sit for an interview with the special counsel. President Trump responded to written questions with some version of, I do not recall, or I do not remember, 37 times. Trump said, I don't remember, 37 times? Come on. I don't believe Trump's memory is that bad. The only way I'd believe it is if all 37 questions were, when is your anniversary? Then maybe. <laughs> it's also funny that Trump can't remember what happened a year ago, but when Christine Blasey Ford couldn't remember every detail from 30 years ago, he judged her like this. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. See? This just proves my theory. Everything Trump says about women is actually true about himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's always making things up. He's overly emotional. And most of all, he's the one with the great boobs. So look. <laughs> it's clear now. It's clear now. William Barr may have told us that the Mueller report was a nothing burger, but in reality, it's more like the kitchen at Shake Shack. And you have to admit, it's a little strange that the attorney general wrote a summary that left out so many crucial details. Like, that's not what a summary is supposed to do. A summary is like a movie trailer. 
Right? It's supposed to give you an accurate idea of what you're about to see, not leave out all the good parts. And you know what the worst thing is? Is that before this happened, Marvel hired William Barr to make the new Avengers trailer. <laughs> which probably explains why it looks like this. What do you want? I wouldn't say no to a tuna mill. Look, you know how you're having a dream, and in the dream you gotta pee? Yeah. Okay, and then you're like, oh my God, uh, there's no bathrooms, what am I gonna do? Oh, right. someone's watching, oh, and then I'm you gonna wake go up, my pants. And in real life, you actually have to pee. Yes. stories help us understand the world we live in. And some news stories are just stupid. For those, we turn to Ronnie Chang. As we celebrate Earth, we're also trying to figure out how to save it. Take me, for instance. To help cool the planet, before I left my apartment today, I turned the air conditioning on. What? No, no, isn't that contributing to global warming? No, oh, stupid, I left the window open, of course. <laughs> but unfortunately for the Earth, not everyone's solutions are as practical as mine. How can humankind tackle global warming? There are some scientists proposing a technique that's similar to the Earth-wearing UV protection sunglasses, apparently, to block out the sun's harmful rays. Basically, what the proposal wants to do is it wants to send airplanes into the stratosphere, effectively spraying it with aerosols into the atmosphere, almost kind of like working like you're adding extra clouds. When you do that, you essentially are trying to block more of that sunlight. So your solution to save the planet is to spray more shit into the atmosphere. <laughs> Let me ask you, what's the point of saving Earth if the whole thing looks like New Jersey? <laughs> and also... Also, there's no way that will work. It's like trying to get a coffee stain out of your shirt by using blood, okay? Don't believe every life hack you read on the internet. We don't need to dim the sun. We already have two dim suns. They're called Eric and Don Jr. Hello! High five, Trevor! Come on! Come on! I'm not, I'm not gonna high five you. I'm not gonna high-five you. Oh, sorry, didn't know you were a Trump guy. Anyway, <laughs> there's a whole ocean of bad ideas out there. In fact, one of those bad ideas is an ocean. A Silicon Valley firm wants to stop climate change by flooding the desert. Y Combinator unveiled uh, some radical ideas as one of four moonshot scenarios presented to get innovators thinking about climate change remedies. The company says by using 238 trillion gallons of ocean water, it could create millions of algae reservoirs that could combat carbon dioxide. Y Combinator expects the project to cost about $50 trillion. You're gonna move the ocean into the desert? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Unless they do it while Burning Man is happening. In which case, <laughs> go for it, please take a bath, you dirty hippies. <laughs> First of all, you can't move an ocean, okay? Have you guys ever tried to move a one-bedroom apartment? <laughs> you can't buy three boxes of Papa John's and ask your friends to move the Atlantic, okay? But at least these guys are trying to find a solution to save the Earth, okay? Other people are just waving a white flag. 
Right now, world leaders are exploring a concept for a floating city to guard against flood tsunamis and Category 5 hurricanes. The floating city is made up of six hexagonal islands that would be built with sustainable materials. Each island would hold about 300 people with an entire city being comprised of 10,000 people. Leaders see the project as a viable solution against rising sea levels, climate change and housing shortages. They will also be built so that they can be towed to a safer location if needed. Wow, living on floating cities. Clearly, we've given up. Okay, we couldn't, we couldn't cut back on plastic straws, so we have to go on a carnival cruise that never ends. That's a nightmare for everyone, except elderly couples trying to have sex with strangers, of course. <laughs> I can't believe we're abandoning land so fast. We're mammals. We're supposed to live on land. No mammals live in the ocean. Dolphins and whales? Yeah, two great examples of fishes. Thank you. <laughs> you okay, you know what, Ronnie? Like, at least these people are trying, all right? If you're so smart, what's your plan to save the Earth? Okay, Trevor, I'm glad you asked. I have a two-step plan here, all right? <laughs> Step one, everyone gives me $1 million. Okay, and then what's step two? Step two is I proceed to have a good life or the rest of you drift away on your floating cities. Happy Earth Day, everyone. <laughs> High five me, Trump boy. Let's go, come Ronnie on. Chang, everyone. Come we'll on, right man. Back. Come on. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee who is the founder and CEO of RISE, a nonprofit civil rights organization. She was the force behind the Sexual Assault Survivors' Rights Act, which was signed into law in 2016. Please welcome Amanda Wynn. is a super exciting time for me and for you a little bit, but for me... <laughs> oh, thanks. Because I have never chatted to somebody who is nominated for a Nobel Prize. Oh, Congratulations. Thank you so much. That, that comes with it a certain level of, of swag. I mean, do you just walk around the world <laughs> being like Nobel, Nobel nominee? I yeah. Because it is, it is like, th like basically the best people in our world, essentially. It's a good people award. Yes, it's a good people award. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and uh, the, the company that you're gonna keep is, is really exciting. But um, if you look at your work, what are you most proud of? What do you look at and go, oh, this is why I would like to win the Nobel Prize? You know, one doesn't try to seek to win it, so right. I'm, I'm very grateful to my nominators um, who were both Republican and Democrats to get together. Right. Um, but honestly, for me, it's not the law that I wrote, it's that I was able to train other people to pen their own civil rights into existence, and that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, for, for those who, who, who don't know what you do, um, uh, RISE is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to fighting for the rights of people, you know, and, and specifically sexual assault survivors. Yeah. And this is, this is a really personal issue to you because you yourself are a survivor. Yes. And you yourself has, have fought against a system that has always been in favor, it seems, of, of the perpetrators mm -hmm. as opposed to the victims. That's right. What did you feel needed to change once you saw the system itself? Well, after my rape, I discovered that the criminal justice system was pretty broken. Um, rape kits were destroyed before the statute of limitations, before they were tested, among a whole host of other issues. Um, and I realized, you know, I remember walking into my local area rape crisis center and the waiting room was filled. 
and I didn't realize how pervasive this problem was. Right. Now I realized at that point I had a choice. I could accept the injustice or rewrite the law, and one of these things is a lot better than the other, uh, so I rewrote it. Uh, but four and a half years ago, um, I founded RISE. And we, when we first started out, people thought we were a joke. We wanted to pass this law through Congress. We had no money, no connections. Um, and then we did the impossible. Uh, we passed it unanimously through Congress. It became the 21st bill in modern US history to do so. But Trevor, the most remarkable part wasn't that President Obama signed it into law for 25 million people. It was what happened afterwards. So we heard from over a million people who reached out to say, hey, this is going on in my own community too. Yes. Can you help me pen my own rights into existence? And so with that, we sought to replicate our success. I created this theory of organizing. It's called Hopeonomics. Um, and we uh, affectionately call it School of Hope at Rise. Right. Um, but what we do is we train other people uh, and I'm so proud to say that over the past 22 months, we've passed 22 laws all unanimously for 40 million people. This is, it's, it's almost unbelievable because, because so many Americans have gotten used to the idea yeah. that Congress doesn't pass laws. That's Congress right. is gridlocked, Congress doesn't move. Mm -hmm. And yet you have found a way to speak to lawmakers and to get people involved, citizens involved in changing the laws. Many would say, if you want to change the law, you should run for office, but you found a different way to do it. Yeah. How do you get these lawmakers behind these ideas? How do you get bipartisan support? Because right. it seems like something lawmakers themselves can't do. Yes, um, you know, some people looking at our track record may say, oh, well, you passed it unanimously because sexual violence or rape is an easy issue. Um, and if so, then Kavanaugh or Title IX or even the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization would be litigated differently. Right. But honestly, you know, this is a time of frustration, of waning faith in our democracy. And there's never been a more vital moment in our history for everyday people to understand that they hold the power. You know, um, I didn't have the political luxury of a cathartic performance. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that I had to fight for my rights and I had to compromise and work with people that I didn't agree with in order to pass my rights or else my justice would slipped through my fingers. Right. Um, and so after passing these 22 laws uh, and having 22 proof points, um, we're ready for our next step. Uh, and so over the past couple of weeks, we just announced the launch of a new phase of RISE, which is RISE Justice Labs. That's really interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the Justice Labs, if I understand correctly, is basically an incubator. Yes. And what you're doing is you're helping people to start their own social justice movements, yes. helping people to get laws uh, past, That's you're helping right. people to change the world that they live in. Right. And you actually just worked with some kids who were part of the Parkland protests and some of the people who were part of that uprising saying, hey, we need to do something about how guns are managed in America. That's right. So here's how the Justice Labs works. Our mission is to help everyday people pass their first law and we give them the resources to do so. So um, in cities across America, when an entrepreneur has a good idea, based on the merit of their idea, they can apply for funding, seed funding, mentorship. Right. Um, essentially, they get the opportunity cost of their startup covered. And that doesn't exist for civil rights until now. Um, so we give uh, activists who apply and get accepted um, seed funding and then mentorship and training 
um, and cover their opportunity cost to accelerate their social movement. And the team we're so proud to work with first um, is the survivors and the students of uh, the Parkland shooting. Right. Yeah, so they call themselves Zero USA, for yes. Zero Gun Deaths in America. Um, their founder, Robert Shentrup, testified in the Colorado State House a couple weeks ago. Um, and they actually, that bill he testified on, just became law. So they have helped write their first law. I can see why you are nominated by, uh, for a Nobel Prize and I am not. Congratulations <laughs> on all of your achievements. It truly is amazing work that you're doing. Congratulations Thank on all of your success you and your story. For more information and to apply to be a part of Rise Justice Labs, go to risenow.us. Amanda Wynn, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.